Hi there, and welcome to The Creative Endeavor, the podcast bringing you inspiring stories from creative professionals from around the world. In this episode, I'm interviewing Alex Warnick, who's a bird artist based in Indiana in the United States. I've been following Alex on Instagram for some time, and I just love her work. She's got a really precise way of detailing her bird paintings, which is good, seeing as a lot of them are used for field identification guides. I wanted to ask her all about her paintings, but also ask her about her approach to her art business. I knew that she would have a lot to share, and she certainly did not disappoint. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I hope you will too. This is The Creative Endeavor. Tell us a little bit about your story, how maybe you started painting and, and just kind of fill us in a few of those high points and what brings you here today. Okay. Um, well, when I think back to when I started being an artist, I think ever since I was a little kid, as, as early as my memories go, I've been identifying with being an artist. So even like three years old, four years old in kindergarten, I always kind of considered myself an artist. It was always my thing. It's always kind of what I identified with. There's always been two things in my life that I've loved. I've always loved art and I've always loved birds. Well, birds started when I was about um, probably around 10 or 11 years old. Um, in my family, nature has just always been huge. Um, my I have brothers who collected snakes my whole life. My dad used to take like a room of our house and fill it with like fish tanks with fish from local rivers and we had like dragonflies that would hatch in the room and wow. lizards that would, like run around I remember going in my bedroom there was like a lizard in my bedroom it was kind of like the local ecosystem in our wow. house so you were so, weird too <laughs> I, yeah I was I was weird that's cool we were big creatures Mm -hmm. my, my parents met at like a wilderness survival program so nature kind of runs in our blood and art runs in my blood too my my house was covered in paintings from aunts and uncles grandparents cousins so art and nature that's kind of that's like my heritage um but when i was in fifth grade i think one day i was reading a book about careers in nature and they talked about ornithology and something just snapped in the, um, ever since then, I, I just kind of have been obsessed with birds in elementary school. Everybody kind of knew me as the bird girl and my, uh, yearbook photo. I remember going in with my pair of binoculars on my yearbook day and begging the photographer to let me hold my binoculars up to my face in my picture. We kind of went back and forth and finally he agreed that I could hold them in my picture. So in like the yearbook, all the kids are there and I'm sitting there holding a pair of binoculars in my yearbook photo. Um, so yeah, obsessed from a young age. Uh, but when I got to college, I kind of had to decide whether to follow my artistic inclination or my scientific one. And I chose art. So I, uh, I went to school for art. Um, and I was going for a BFA. I actually was emphasizing in landscape painting, actually oil painting, landscape painting. But towards the very end, I think I kind of felt like, I feel like there's milestones in your life where it, these kind of mile markers where in high school, 
your future only goes as far as high school. You can't see past it. So you only worry about that. And college is till the end of college. And you can't see past that. But once college was about to end, I feel like I peaked past that mile marker and looked beyond and realized that the next mile marker is death, (laughs) pretty much. And life felt very long in the career I had chosen. I thought, huh, I don't know if I have the motivation or the passion behind landscape painting to do what it takes to be an artist for the rest of my life in that um, chosen emphasis. And so at the very end, I just decided, you know, if I'm really going to do it, I think I have to just dive in and just do what I truly love. I remember a teacher mentioned, he said, if you take what you love and you take what you know and combine them, then you can probably be successful at making a living from it. And I thought, okay, well, I, uh, I know that I love birds and I know art is what it's, I'm good at. So if I combine the two then maybe I can make a go of it. And so I actually quit my BFA during my last semester and kind of changed course and instead just did an independent study where I focused on painting birds for that semester. And I just knew it the minute I did it. In fact, I don't think I've painted another thing since that moment other than birds. And I've just been busy full-time career since then. Um, And I just knew that, oh yeah, I could easily do that for the rest of my life. I found what I loved. So that's kind of what has brought me to this point today. The rest is history. And so, so how many how many years has it been since you've gone pro? Um, you know, I'm still kind of a, a new artist. I no, consider myself. Oh well, thank you. <laughs> it means a lot coming from you. But I, I've only been painting for about four years since I graduated. You know, I, I, I got that, I felt that pressure so much because I also went through like a tertiary institution and got my final oh, okay. degree. And I wish I had the guts to drop out. I wish I did. I, I think it was just laziness that kept me there. I thought, well, this must Uh-oh. lead to something. Meanwhile, the Uh-oh. whole time I knew it didn't. And I think sometimes when you feel something's not working, staying in that situation is not a good idea. So I, mm-hmm. ki- I kind of admire that. You know, you, you, you found something, you found a direction that you wanted to go and you just, you just executed, you just went for it. And that's, that's awesome. That's so how, how does you know, a, a bird artist in today's day and age make money? And I'm sorry to ask such a crass question, but I think a lot of people would benefit from knowing how you monetize this thing and how you're able to generate an income. Because it's all well and good to paint and do what you love. You know, we mm-hmm. all love that. I mean, I would do what I do for free. So how do you get into this, this way of being able to monetize your passion? Yeah, that's a good question. And, and, you know, when I decided to make that leap into painting birds, I didn't know that it could even be um, a profession that would actually make a living. I just kind of did it because I, I don't know, it was just kind of that spur of the moment inspiration, you just go for what you love and just hope for the best. And it's kind of been a surprise to me also, in the end, that I thought, um, wow, I really can make a living at this and probably for the rest of my life. And it was a really happy surprise. But the things that um, I split my time between um, freelance illustration work for publications and things like that that need bird illustration. People will always need bird illustration because if you think about it, some people say, well, why do we need it? We have photography and photography is extremely helpful these days. Even I use photography in my work in order to create a painting. But when you think about somebody creating a field guide or a textbook and they want to portray a bird 
and um, lots of birds even, and like a very nice classic pose that makes it easy to identify. If you think about the logistics of a photographer going into the middle of the jungle somewhere and getting the perfect setup of a photograph of all these species they need, that's just logistically so much harder than an artist doing it instead. Um, so they will always need bird artists, I discovered. Even if photography becomes big, bird artists will always be um, more feasible in some cases. So there's um, technical illustration for things like that, field guides, textbooks, publications. Um, I do a lot of commissions. Uh, people just in general love birds. I think birds are the most accessible wildlife of all wildlife. And everybody has a connection with birds. Mm -hmm. And so... A lot of people are collectors, even if they're not like a hardcore birder like I am. They just have a love for birds, and so they like to collect paintings. Um, then, of course, there's hardcore birders, which birding is the fastest-growing outdoor pastime in the world, and so that's always growing. So there's people who are interested in commission work for me privately. Um, I've done corporate commissions, uh, like a coffee table style book. Because birds are beautiful, so just aesthetically, they make beautiful paintings. Um, so half of my time is spent doing that type illustration. Um, and then the other half is spent um, kind of more with fine art. I do a lot of just of my own painting for shows, galleries, and things like that. So it's kind of split. Ooh, ooh, okay, okay. There, look, there's so much good stuff there. There's pure gold there that I want to unpack. But while, oh, okay. while you mention that buzzword... Um, because my ears even prick when I hear the word gallery or galleries. I'm like, ooh, mm -hmm. how? How do, how do you make that work? How do, how does? And this is a question that I probably get more than anything. How do I get my work into galleries? My personal philosophy at the, at the moment is don't. Don't do it. It's a terrible idea. Terrible idea. Um, but uh, I, I have a very weird relationship with them. But I'm always curious to hear other professionals uh, talk about galleries and their experience. And, and some of it, most of it's very positive. So I'll, I'll, uh -huh. I'll, I'll grant them that. But um, how, do you, how did you find going about navigating that relationship? How did you get into a gallery to begin with? You know, to be perfectly honest, I'm a little bit of your same mindset in that, you know, I I do feel for gallery owners these days and that maybe their day is coming to a close at some point just because in the past they were necessary and that they were the only, um, they kind of connected artists with the collectors. And now that we have things like internet and social media and things that can connect the artists with the collectors directly, you know, gallery owners are becoming, or galleries in general are becoming um, just not quite as necessary. Of course, there will always be painting, there will always be a market for like, for extreme fine art collecting and a, a, in a very knowledgeable field, gallery owners also have a lot of expertise that make them very helpful for people who are true collectors and seeking to do it as an investment. So I think that that will always be um, needed and necessary. And there will be certain types of artists that will always benefit from being involved, like in a gallery and connecting with very high end collectors. Um, for me, I, I think that it's not as necessary for me. I do really like working with galleries because it can open me up to a, um, a new audience that I wouldn't connect with otherwise on my own. A gallery can find a new audience. Um, but it is true that I am sometimes a little less reluctant to send my work to a gallery because it's, I do only then get a certain portion of the profit in the end of a sale of a painting, whereas I could have just sold it myself and made the entire profit. Um, but 
mostly the the connections that I've made with galleries, um, they've actually, to be honest, most of them have approached me because I feel kind of the same way you do. I haven't really gone out there to try and get my work in galleries. I'm not really on the offense when it comes to that. But people who approach me, I think one of the best ways to do it is to start something like an Instagram account, something where they can find you, um, start following them, their accounts, getting involved and finding ones that really fit what you're doing. Um, and that just really opens it up that they that makes it easy for them to find you or you can always approach them. They have ways that you can um, submit work and um, ask them if they consider representing you. Um, and it is a good option for people who maybe um, don't have a lot of other ways to connect with other people. Or if they're doing very large scale oil paintings that are extremely expensive, sometimes that's hard to sell um, online or um, through your own means. And galleries can be helpful in that way. I don't know if I answered your question. No, you answered it perfectly well. Absolutely perfectly well. I, I, I love that. So when the gallery approaches you, are you in a position like do you do you kind of negotiate terms with them? Um, you know, in the few instances of the different galleries I've been involved in, I um, I haven't um, negotiated terms just because it from what I've researched, um, the like the terms that most galleries have, for instance, the percentage of commission that they take, it seemed fair for the people who approached me, especially for the level I'm at in my career. Um, I think most of them kind of do a 50-50. In fact, sometimes that's good for somebody who's just starting out in certain galleries, it could be 60-40. I think if you start to get into like the 40-60 or more, you're really lucky if you can find a gallery who will work with you for that. So I think 50-50 is fair when it comes to galleries. And, and if you think that you need a gallery in order to get your work out there and connect you with the right people, then that's probably about what you should expect. Um, yeah, and I tend to not negotiate. And, and most of them, they're pretty cooperative and most of them love art to begin with. And I, some may get in it for like a greedy game, but most of them just have a passion for art and um, collecting it themselves and a passion for artists in general. So most of them are kind and honest and fair. And I found that to be true with my personal experience. I'm really glad you put that in there because it sounds a lot like I'm hating on galleries. <laughs> oh. You know, and I appreciate that. I mean, because, uh, yeah, uh, many of them, listen, I've met some dirtbags, but many of them have been I awesome people. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, okay, so when it when it comes to, say, finding, you know, that that balance, you know, you're, you're coming to market with your, your, your painting and you've got to figure out where you're at and you're going to price your work. Could you talk to us about that way that you would find and establish that price point and then how you manage that, you know, subsequently? Like, how, how does that build? How does that grow? How is that scaled? Mm -hmm. That's a very good question. I remember when I started out, that was one of the most frustrating things for me was trying to figure out pricing. I'm sure it is for most beginning artists. Um, for me, I... For me, I just went ahead and did a comparison. I, I looked at other people who were doing similar work to what I was doing and then priced it based on what would be competitive or um, based on the quality of my work compared to other people's. And I started out by doing it that way. Um, and I came up in the beginning, I wasn't coming up with a formula. I was just thinking, okay, this painting would probably go for about this much. And for every painting, I would choose a new price and for what, based on the amount of time I put into it or whatever it might be. 
And then eventually that just began to get really stressful. And I was, every time I priced a painting, I was questioning if it was the right price. If somebody said it was too expensive for them, then I questioned that price. And I thought, should I drop my prices? And it was really stressful. So in the end, I created a formula um, that uh, I do length plus width times a certain multiplier equals then the price of my painting. Some people will do length times width like um and get a certain multiple for me for what i do because i tend to work smaller length plus width works better for me and then as time goes on i'll increase that multiplier um i think i read somewhere that they told me in the beginning that if you can sell i think it was 75 percent of your work in a six-month period maybe then you you're safe to raise your prices and so i kind of did that in the beginning i started kind of at a lower end length plus width times a multiplier um and then after six months i was able to sell most of my work so i thought okay so that means i can raise the multiplier and so i do and that just takes away all of the stress because i know okay at this exact formula paintings sell i know they can so if somebody can't pay that price i just understand that maybe it's not for them but i can sell a painting at this price so it it takes away the stress and then as time goes on i continue to raise and um it just kind of is a very formulaic way to do it, very objective, that feels good. And so uh, I'll probably just continue raising my prices as as long as I keep selling paintings according to that formula. I, I felt this internal resistance uh, when I started pricing my work. And in fact, in the beginning, I, I didn't price my work. I had a gallery owner uh, do it for me. They took where I was oh, at. Okay. He looked at the painting and he said, uh, no, you're not getting that. I'm doubling the price. I was like, you can't do that. What? I, I'm not worth that. <laughs> you know, and that, that was really interesting because overnight, all of the prices across the board had to double. All of them. Right. Because I can't mm -hmm. charge that person that amount, you know, even though it's going through the gallery and then have somebody else pay a cheaper amount. The market value exactly. must stay the same. And and so I, I think for me, that was a big thing is just kind of understanding my own self-worth. But we also um, I was wondering if you'd feel comfortable talking a little bit about money. I mean, because you, you seem very business minded about this. And I, and I, I love that. Because I feel that so many artists these days, and especially artists trying to, you know, start out, have got this idea that it's okay to be a starving artist. You know, that it's okay <laughs> to play small. It's okay to just suffer for your art, man. Maybe talk a little bit about your own personal relationship with being comfortable accepting money for your work and, and you know, being okay with going, you know what, I want to be wealthy. I want to make money doing this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. I... Because in the beginning, it was hard. You kind of feel like you're doing a service in a way. You're serving people with your art. And then to ask them for money for it was a little bit of a learning curve in the beginning for me. And I think in lots of cases, I did tend to underprice my work. And that's also one reason I didn't want to go by like a strict formula. Because, you know, if somebody seemed like they couldn't pay the full amount, I wanted to drop the price of a painting and, and things like that. And pretty soon, I just... Uh, you kind of learn fast that you have to treat it like a business if you are going to survive at all. Um, not that it has to be stuffy or uh, drudgery. I, I kind of think the, the business is fun. It's kind of a game for me trying to figure it out. Um, it can be fun. Marketing is, is kind of a fun game. Um, I think, I think that I've just kind of learned that in, 
and being an artist, you have to be as much of a marketer as you are an artist. Of course, there's all different types of artists, just like there's different types of athletes. There's the Olympic swimmer who's swimming for the purpose of winning the Olympics and being the very best. There's swimmers who just like to go and jump in the lake after school and just swim for fun. There's the people who just like to swim laps in a pool in the morning before work just for exercise. And I think it's the same with artists. They're Lots of different types of art, different types of artists who have different purposes and end goals with their art. But if your end goal is to um, have this be what you do for the rest of your life and only this and nothing else, then you do have to learn to be a business person. Um, and yeah, I learned that pretty quick. And now the, the money game is not as much of a greedy game for me as it is a fun game, seeing if I really can make it work, just being an artist. And I've learned too that um, you know, the way I can serve is making it so I have art at different price points. Maybe I can put it that way. You know, if you feel, um, if you feel kind of a guilt raising your prices so much that suddenly it's out of the realm of the everyday person who can afford it, you can always do, I've discovered you can do prints or you can do small sales of small artwork while you're also painting large paintings and maybe selling them in galleries at, at a price point that nobody can afford except for certain people because then you have something for everybody in the market and you're serving everybody while also still making the money you need in order to keep creating your art so you can keep serving, just like you said. So that was kind of a learning curve for me in the beginning, understanding that and that that's how it's gonna have to be if I want to keep trying to serve people with the art that I create. You mentioned something there just a little while ago about goals. Um, do you set goals with your, you know, personally and with your business? And if you do, could you share with us what a couple of those goals are? Yeah, actually, I, uh, I'm definitely a goal oriented person. It, it, I'm kind of, even though I'm an artist, you know, right brain, left brained, I'm definitely um, kind of business minded, scientifically minded when it comes to art. So I, I set a lot of goals. In fact, at the beginning of every single year, I'm one of those people where I write down the goals I want to accomplish that year, kind of big things that would be really exciting if I could do them, kind of reaching for the stars stuff and also just some very logical and likely um, goals. And then I try to break them down. Then, okay, if I want this to happen, I break it down like by month, exactly what I'm going to have to do each month, exactly what I'm going to have to do um, each week of the month. And then each day of the month. So I break it down big picture every year in order to try to accomplish goals. I look ahead. Sometimes I spend weeks in the beginning of the year or usually the end of the year before looking ahead at certain shows I want to try to um, submit work to. Um, maybe a certain project that I really want to do. It could be one that I've created myself or one that I want to be involved in or somebody's contacted me about. Um, I might look at certain like a residency or something like that. So I have all these things kind of on my plate to choose from. I start inserting them in my calendar, um, creating goals, maybe a people I want to approach to do like a collaboration when I need to do that. And then I'll break it down. So I know pretty much every single day, like of the entire year, I know what I need to do in order to accomplish those goals. So I at least know, and I'm not super strict about them, but I'll at least know if I'm on track or not in order to accomplish a certain goal. So I do that. I'm very technical about it. I always say that I think I would make a wonderful studio assistant for somebody, a better studio assistant than an artist. So <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah, I, I say I need to get one for myself, but I'd be sad because that's the part I love. Sometimes I say, hmm, maybe I can get somebody to do the painting for me and I'll do all the business. But I love painting, too. But 
Um, so yeah, I'm definitely a goal, a goal setter. Um, some of the goals, uh, sometimes I think I'll look out there into, in the world of birding and art and I see people that I would have the potential to collaborate with that might kind of be a pipe dream. Um, but I will set that as a goal and then see what baby steps I need to take that might lead to it. And it might be baby steps like maybe just become a better artist. So they'll even consider working with me. Okay. Well, what areas in my art are weaknesses that then I can start developing, or it might be become better known so that they think I'm a little bit more worthwhile and actually making a connection with. And so how can I do that? And, you know, maybe it's getting more followers on Instagram or not, or maybe it's just um, submitting to more articles and publications or whatever it might be. So I like breaking down things into goals and baby steps. That's one of my favorite parts about being an artist is, um, is accomplishing what might seem impossible to me now. Awesome. Awesome. Can you give me an example of one of those shooting for the stars goals? Yeah. Um, I, I want a really embarrassing one. Something you're like, no way. Okay, but I'll say it. Just go for it. You go and then I'll go. That's a good, okay, let's see. Let me think of one. Um, well, for me right now, a shooting for the stars goal and, and all these right now, like I say they're shooting for the stars and maybe someday I'll laugh at myself because then I'll be like, that was shooting for the stars. That's normal now. But yeah. that's what's wonderful about it. But for me, I'm trying to get a lot of the stuff that I use for free. That's going to be my shooting for the stars. It, like some of the optics and things like that that I use that can be extremely expensive. I have goals of collaborating with people that then will make it so that I have those things for free um, to for the rest of my life, hopefully. And so that's kind of a shooting for the stars thing for me, because that's a lot of money that somebody would have to put out for me. But that's a goal I have. Working right now, I have my eyes on a museum. That's kind of a shooting for the stars goal, collaborating with them. But I'm already in, um, I'm already discussing with them in discussions. And that was just spur of the moment, because I thought this is shooting with the st for the stars. But I thought, why not write them an email this week and try to set something up? And so I did. And then suddenly they contacted me back. And I thought, wow, that one might happen faster than I expected. You know, it's just fun to um, see how big you can go, how fast. And, you know, if you fail, you fail. But uh, there's there's nothing wrong with failing. It's just fun to try. I, I love that you say that. Um, there, You know, because uh, so many people are afraid to to fail, afraid to fall flat on their face. You know, and, mm -hmm. and I, I just think, you know, that's so sad, like the amount of ridiculous crap that I just went for um, <laughs> and then either ended up turning out or I ended up learning from. Like, I'm so glad I did a lot of these things. Um, mm -hmm. And and when you look back on them, you realize, hang on, that wasn't a failure. That wasn't a failure because something okay. came out, something so valuable came out of that. Um, you know, and it's almost cliche to say, but I, I th there have been times early on where I just kind of allowed myself to go, yeah, no, who am I? Like, who, <laughs> who, little old me, who am I? Um, and, and, you know, now, you know, I, I still get the, I still get that feeling in, in the pit of my stomach and, and even in my chest, it kind of, it hurts. It's like this warm feeling, but it's a hurt feeling as well. It's not, it's not nice. It's just kind of, it makes you want to collapse in on yourself and hide away. And that's when I just kind of stand up straight and I go, all right, that means we have to do it. All right, let's go. And then, then <laughs> so I feel the fear and I'm just like, wow, we're doing it. We're doing it. You know? And, um, uh -huh. it just, it just means, you know, you, you kind of work through that. So the goals that's, that's huge because it puts up there 
and uh, and identifies, hey, this is this is what I'm about. This is what I'm going for. So I love that. I love that you you know set your own goals and you know you're executing. Let me let me give you an example of a, of a ridiculous goal of mine: a shooting for the stars. Goal. Okay. First on plane air painter on Mars. <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> Uh, that's a good you know what that's true it makes me realize i'm not dreaming big enough but that's definitely a possibility yeah and elon if you're listening i'm ready buddy let's go <laughs> let's go and you'll definitely be the first one because you're the first one who decided to dream it so yeah but now i'm putting it out there in public so how smart am i a lot of other people <laughs> I, now there's going to be a waiting list so <laughs> that's right i'm gonna have to compete with jeremy Lipking. that's no good <laughs> he might have me there <laughs> Hey, so, um, you know, you from following you on social media and, and, and watching you just put up this consistently fantastic work, and then I'm noticing that you're putting up a few kind of personal posts and like you'll show yourself in the field. You seem to be aware, you know, you're building this personal brand, uh, it, it would appear. And, it, you know, you're somebody that I instantly, you know, felt like I connected with. So maybe could you talk a little bit about that and how important it is to you to kind of cultivate this following, build that personal brand and really connect with people? Yeah. Um, Instagram has been really good to me from the very beginning. I started it just because a college, like my last semester of school, college professor said it was an assignment, start an Instagram account. And uh, I really didn't want to just because, you know, I was really shy at the time. And I was one of those people that I would never show anybody any of my art if I didn't have to, or at least I like to, to be hanging somewhere and then to be invisible in the crowd and hear if people liked it or not, but I just never wanted to show my face. Um, so I started an Instagram account and immediately people were really supportive of the work that I did. And I got a lot of positive feedback. And of course, that's extremely encouraging um, in itself. And that's just advice I would give to a beginning artist is start something like that because the encouragement and kindness that you get back becomes extremely motivating for the art that you do. Because um, lots of times we're just alone in our studio, just painting all day, and you don't hear anything. And so it's nice to be able to share these progress pictures of your work and hear that people love it even before it's done. It's just extremely motivating. But so in the very beginning, um, a lot of people were finding me and I was making wonderful connections with other artists and people who are fans of what I did. And Every single new follower, every single comment, even to this day, I think it surprises me every single time that people still connect with what I do and go out of their way to tell me that they're liking what I do. So I try really hard to respond to every single person, whoever comments, because I'm grateful for every single one. Um, and it kind of recently I've started sharing a little bit more about my process and behind the scenes of the work that I do in the field and try to show my face and stuff a little bit more. At first I thought I wouldn't, I thought I would just share the art, but then I realized that like you were saying in the beginning, there's certain aspects of what we do that then you realize is kind of selfishness. And I think that part of not wanting to show myself was a little bit of selfishness. Um, not, I guess it was keeping me from really connecting even more with the people who are being so kind to me. So some people might not like it, but I love it when people show themselves every once in a while because suddenly they're a real person. There's um, And I just become more invested in what they're doing. And so I've been trying to do that. And I have a lot of people who are just buddies through social media that sometimes when I remember that I've never met them in real life, it blows my mind because I'm like, oh, they're one of my really good friends. I can't believe I've actually never met them before. 
Um, I made wonderful connections with artists who have been role models for me, even since I was a little kid. Now I've made connections with them on Instagram. It's a wonderful platform because it's so casual. Give us an example. Sorry, give us an example of somebody that you connected with because that's so exciting. Uh, Okay. Yeah, you know, there are some wonderful artists that one of the things that inspired me as a kid were these wildlife um, catalogs that I used, my parents used to pick up from used bookstores. And I used to flip through through those things all the time, do little master copies, like my 10-year-old self, drawing these paintings by these artists. Um, Some of them, kind of the Western tradition, Michael Coleman and Nicholas Coleman. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And yeah, Nicholas Coleman has been a wonderful um, support for me. I actually have a painting of his hanging up in here. Um, But he's been wonderful. Um, I've connected with some other people that I just love. Um, James Prozac. Some of these... (laughs) Some of these are embarrassing to mention on here because I don't tell them how much they were an inspiration for me as a kid, but they were. James Prozac, uh, he, I love, I've loved his work forever. I discovered him in a book or two a long time ago and then connecting with him on Instagram. And now he owns some of my work. And that was just something that was really wow. special to me. And just little things like that, just connecting with these wonderful people or even um, just like family members of artists that I admired. And maybe the the artists themselves aren't around anymore, but their family members have connected with me. And that's just kind of been special. And it's just it's it's been kind of amazing to me to see that Instagram gets rid of all formality. So even these people that you thought you never could connect with um, because there was a barrier there suddenly that's gone and you can connect with all sorts of people at any level. Um, it just kind of starts this conversation. Um, yeah, just kind of a worldwide conversation and anybody can join in. And so that's been fun for me. And that's another reason I would recommend anybody starting on something like Instagram or Twitter or any kind of social media account, because even if you don't sell your work through it, it's one of the best ways to network and meet other people and be aware of just kind of what's happening in the market and the world around you. So, so yeah, that's been exciting. Do you listen to audiobook? Um, I do. do. What do you listen to while you paint? Um, you know, sometimes I can't listen to anything because I have to concentrate. But when I do listen to things, um, I like to do podcasts a lot. Um, there's a lot of podcasts out there that I love. Most of them are nature related. Um, there's not a whole ton of art podcasts. There's a few, but that's also why I was really excited to hear that you were starting this. Um, a couple of the nature podcasts I listen to bird guides uh, or field guides. I think they're actually called nature guys. Um, there's, um, a botany one that I can't remember the name of, but there's also a lot of, uh, podcasts, one by the American birding association, bird note, things like that. I listen to a lot of those. Um, as far as audiobooks go, um, right now I'm listening to 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. I don't know how many times I've listened to it. It's just one of my favorite books. Um, I like to listen to uh, a lot of them are kind of nature-related young adult <laughs> fiction, My Side of the Mountain, things like that, because it kind of puts me in the mood while I'm painting that kind of a naturalist mindset. Fantastic. So those are the Fantastic. things I listen to the most. Brilliant. Um, do you listen to any kind of nonfiction, informational, inspirational type stuff? Um, yeah, I do. I listen to a ton. Um, I listen to quite a few um, business books. And, you know, I might have to look at what they are because titles 
I have my Audible account here. Known by Mark Schaefer. Um, In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day by Mark Batterson. And things like that. And they're very inspirational business books. I will say that one of the most motivating things for me, and this will be... Um, you know, there'll be people on both sides of the coin, whether or not they think this is great or not. But I have listened to a lot of like law of attraction books. Um, I, I don't know if you're familiar with that. Oh, yeah. And whether people, um, whether they buy into the fact that law of attraction is a real thing or not, you know, there's no arguing that just positive thinking will make you more successful. And as soon as I just started to feel positive with my work, and that was one of the biggest things with goals, having dreams, shooting for the stars. And then just not letting failure and discouragement even be an issue, just kind of casting them aside and just deciding you're just going to be hopeful and think positive all the time. Um, that's been one of the most helpful things for me because suddenly opportunities come and you do accomplish goals and dreams do come true. And they wouldn't have if you had just um, succumbed to the discouragement from the beginning. So those have been very helpful. If so, nothing else, they're so just a great pep talk. Give, give us your law, uh, a law of attraction author, maybe a book somebody can go and, and check out, download on Audible. Okay. Um, let me see. I've listened to a lot. Let me see which one I would recommend. The the, the, yeah, definitely The Secret is one where the movie, if you watch it every couple, like every couple of months, I'll just watch it again, just because it gets you, they're pretty much telling you that anything you want out of life, your biggest dreams can come true. And just believing that alone is yeah. powerful in itself, because that means you're going to try. And well, so I, I look, um, I'm a believer, too. You know, um, people might remember <laughs> in one of the episodes for this podcast, we interviewed Dr. John D. Martini, who was on The Secret. Oh, OK. Wow. That's and great. That guy's awesome. He's on fire. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, yeah, I definitely, whether people want, uh, really believe in kind of the metaphysical side or just the fact of thinking positive, that's a scientific fact. It's going to make you uh, more successful. I mean, that's proven science. So I think just in general, reading those things is helpful. Um, just because it, it, that's a big part. The people who succeed are the ones who believe they can or are unwilling to believe that they can't. So I would recommend that. It's been helpful for me. Awesome. You know, you, you, you sound like somebody who's, you know, you don't seem to have any trouble staying on top of it, staying dedicated, disciplined, and, and motivated. So how do you, you know, stay on top of it? How do you just keep that focus and just laser in and just get it done? Yeah. You know, I think that's kind of a challenge for me too. And I think that's probably a, something I hear from almost every artist that it is a challenge all the time to be your own boss and to make yourself uh, do the work when nobody is there in the studio telling you to do it. And I definitely have those days where I am just extremely lazy and I just cannot bring myself uh, to do it. And those are probably more often than I would like to admit, but they happen. But I found that the best way to counteract that is to create projects for myself that have deadlines and it forces you to work. You have to do the work no matter what, cause you have deadlines. And even when I, nobody's come to me with a deadline, that's when I create my own project, approach somebody and uh, create a deadline for myself. And so 
I do. I'm pretty, uh, I, I have a good routine and I'm pretty consistent that I get up and I probably start working in the studio around nine, nine o'clock in the morning every day. Um, cause before that I do other things that are important, like exercising and things that keep you sane. And, um, I'll probably paint until depending on how intense my deadlines are, I'll paint at least till 3 PM every day. Sometimes if it's more intense, I'll go longer till like 5 or 6 p.m. But at that point, I start to not be on my best game. And my work suffers a little bit if I paint more than like six hours straight in a day. Some people I know can do 12 hours a day and I've done it. But if I really want to, yeah, I'm sure you I'm sure you have. <laughs> 15 hours yesterday. <laughs> oh, good, oh, good job. Yeah, I've, I've done that with projects in the past too. Um and sometimes, I don't know if it's the work that I do is extremely detailed or cerebral, but I get burnt out after about six hours of that oh, straight. Sure. So sure. yeah, it's difficult to sustain. I mean, especially with the quality of your work and the, the intricacy to it. I mean, with me, I, I, I feel like often I'm just slapping paint around having a good time. But I mean, you know, I, I look at you and, you, you know, with something like a field guide. You can't be creative with those feathers, you, but yet right. somehow you managed to make these look like works of art. It's just exquisite. But I'm looking at how fine these images are and how well executed they are. I mean, look, for people listening, you, you know, you want to see some work that is well executed. Somebody who knows her stuff, you got to check out Alex Warnick. If you're not following, if you're just listening to this and you're not following her right now on Instagram, change that immediately. Go follow her. Um, look, I I've really, really appreciated your time. Um, there's just a few more questions I'd like to squeeze in here if we've got, got a little bit more time together. Um, yeah, okay. You know, I, I'm constantly getting asked for advice. And in fact, that's what inspired me to uh, start this podcast in the first place is so many people are like, Andrew, how do I get in galleries? Or how do I price my work? Or how do I stay motivated? Or how do I go about being an artist in the first place? And I'm like, I don't know, man, like, I just do what I do. Um, well, let me ask some people and get back to you, you know, and so that's what kind of started this whole thing off. So let's say you're talking to somebody who's, um, you know, or better yet, let's ask it this way. I, I like it when other interviewers have asked this kind of question. Let's say you're offering your 12 year old self some advice. What are you going to say to her? Hmm. That's a good question. I think I would say, I think I would go back to kind of what I said in the beginning, that if you combine what you know with what you love, you're probably going to be a success because you'll do what it takes to make it a success. And anything can be a success, I think, if you're willing to work hard enough for it. And if you love it, it won't feel like work. So I think that's probably the best advice I would give is just to go for it and um, to be creative in your business. There's a million ways to make something work. And most of them, people just haven't tried yet. And if you just get creative, you can do it. And and make your personal dream work on your own terms, however you want to do it. At least that's what I believe. It's worked for me, and that's something I'm very grateful for. And I think that that can probably work for most people, too. Absolutely. Hey, let me ask you, um, who are your heroes? Who are your heroes? Like for, from all time, like old masters, painters from the past, um, <laughs> naturalists, biologists, uh, ornithologists. Who, who are those people that you've got on your, your Mount Rushmore? Okay, uh, my Mount Rushmore. Well, for artists, um, I am most inspired by the 19th century 
natural history artists. So people like John James Audubon, Alexander Wilson, Mark Catesby, Jacques Baraband, and then going into the 20th century, people like Roger Torrey Peterson, um, Luis Agassiz Fuertes, um, artists like that. Pretty much anybody who paved the way for what I do, I really connect with them. Um, and in terms of just people in general, Roger Torrey Peterson is one of my <laughs> heroes. In sixth grade, I remember I made a paper mache mask of his face and wore it for a book report project that I did on him. Um, he's and I was actually born in his hometown where he was born, so it's he's just always been a hero of mine. Um, yeah, those would probably be my greatest heroes. It, really, anybody who paved this way, any naturalist, explorer who found the birds and first showed them to people from the very beginning through their artwork. Um, I really connect with them. So for modern day painters, um, there's a whole slew of wildlife artists and I probably won't even get to naming them because there's so many and I'm sure I would leave somebody out, but pretty much anybody who paints birds, they have inspired me at one point or another. Fantastic. That's, uh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. And so I, I can really hear that that's something that is just by having those heroes close and keeping them in your mind, it kind of just pushes you on that daily basis to just keep going, keep going. That's amazing. So um, look, let's, uh, let, let's give you, you know, some, some final and closing thoughts here. I like, I've really enjoyed this, but what's, uh, what are some things that you want to leave us with here, Alex Warnick? Um, I think I would just leave that Art is a wonderful, happy career, and I think I've heard a lot that it's tough, and like you said in the beginning, you're going to be a starving artist, and most people end up quitting before they ever get started, um, but I think I would just say to anybody out there that, first of all, there's a lot of ways to succeed, and success looks different for lots of different people, and making a full-time living and career out of it might be one definition of success for somebody, and they can definitely do it if... Um, they want it really bad and there's especially in our day there's so many creative wonderful ways to succeed and all the tools are kind of in our hands now um, we have everything we need um, and it's just a really fun journey and the connections with other people um, makes it all worth it amazing amazing alex where can people find you where can they see more of your fantastic art how do people get in touch um, I have a website, just uh, my name, www.alexwarnick.com, and also my Instagram account, which is also my name, Alex Warnick, um, are the two best ways to find me. Wonderful. Thank you so much for doing this podcast. It has been awesome. Well, thank you so much, Andrew. I just really enjoyed it. Well, I really hope that you've enjoyed this episode of The Creative Endeavor, and a big thank you to Alex Warnick for joining me. If you want to see more of Alex's work, then she can be found at www.alexwarnick.com. And that's spelled A-L-E-X-W-A-R-N-I-C-K.com. She can also be found on Instagram, at Alex Warnick. Now, if you enjoyed this episode, then I'd really appreciate you taking the time to leave me a rating or a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to this on. It certainly does help me out a lot, and it also helps others find this podcast. Now, of course, you know where to find me. I'm at www.andrewtischler.com. You can also find me on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Thank you so much for stopping by. There's plenty more of these episodes coming, so stay tuned. This is The Creative Endeavor. Endeavor.